0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: You're listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast.
2: So last episode uh, we had a couple of big announcements, and uh, it was episode 100, which was uh, a huge milestone for us to reach. Reach that, and also it was the inaugural launch of the Hunter Conservationist podcast, uh, being the flagship podcast for Blood Origins Canada. So I didn't, I didn't think we could top that or match that, um, but I do have an announcement uh, that'll be kind of uh, cool to, to kind of dive into a, a little bit before we get started. Um, as of a few days ago, we are recording on the 10th, so as of August 8th, Curtis here became a married man. I did.
3: Congratulations, I think.
2: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Curtis and Paige, we had a wedding uh, here on our property, uh, which was a ton of fun. Uh, my nephew, Curtis's cousin there was a DJ and so he had like all the big mixing and soundboard stuff and the speaker that's like the size of a storage bin there. And, and um, luckily, because we're out in the countryside but we do have acreages around us that uh, none of our neighbors came by and uh, the police didn't drive down the driveway so um, hopefully they all know that uh, because we had a wedding here exactly the same thing almost a year to the date uh, when Curtis's sister got married on the property so hopefully our neighbors know that we've only got two kids and (laughs) Curtis was the last one no more parties so (laughs) yeah no no more parties like that at least when we're not home so be, before we get into into tonight's topic, Jesse, do you have any um, marriage inv- advice to impart on on Curtis? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're man. prepared for that.
3: That's a loaded question. That's not part of conservation <laughs> and wildlife management.
1: <laughs> well, a whole other I, podcast. It,
3: yeah i don't i don't have i don't have i don't have good stuff i mean in terms of our the way we do it we just try to go out and have fun and you know get in and go hunting and fishing and experience as much nature as you can and you know if if you go down the road of kids and mark grandkids like that's we've just tried to give them all these opportunities and you know get out salmon fishing on the coast fly fishing in the interior Get them out hunting and you know in the outdoors as early as possible that's that's all i got that's what we all like to do and so Mm -hmm. you know from our end we just try to include our kids and chelsea and i i mean we hunt and fish together all the time so i kind of feel like that's the those are the times we get to recharge the batteries and reconnect and get away from you know whatever 50 voicemails and a couple hundred text messages and a few thousand unread emails so I would just say take take those precious times and spend them together and do it where there's no electronics. Yeah.
2: Sage advice. <laughs> on the only thing I'll layer on to that cuz Jesse brought up the 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 kid part of marriage is the younger you have them <laughs> the easier life is <laughs> when you get older. <laughs> so cuz going on 57 this year it's like that's the last thing I I would want right now as toddlers let me tell you I can I can barely make it through the through the day of uh, hard work out in the arts <laughs> <laughs>
3: but no pressure but no pressure no pressure <laughs> <laughs> it'll come no, fast not, not yeah. at all yeah uh, good cool congratulations cool. no that's, that's awesome. a good
2: one yeah uh, any folks out there that want to write in and impart some of their Hunting married uh, advice for Curtis we will make sure he gets out and and addresses each one individually with a handwritten note and and a card. a <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, card. Uh, hey, everybody, it's Mark Hall, your host. And it's Curtis
1: Hall, the co-host. The Hunter Conservationist podcast is brought to you by the community minded Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, B.C., Get the best of both worlds with Alpine Toyota. They combine high quality vehicles and services with a genuine commitment to our community. Their team is there to give you the best customer service in the automotive industry. They are proud to offer a wide selection of vehicles, tires, and services that are sure to meet your needs. Plus, they're dedicated to giving back to our community with us here at NOW, Blood Origins Canada, and conservation in general. So as I've said before, Make sure you write them a note, pop into the opening soon, I do believe, new flagship dealership, massive dealership. Um, So if you're in town, pop by there, send them a note, bring them a coffee. Just say, hey, thanks for supporting the folks over at uh, Blood Origins Canada now for uh, all the great work they do. So anyways, thanks, as always, to Alpine Toyota.
2: Yeah, Alpine Toyota is a big uh, supporter of the Ducks Unlimited Canada chapters here in Cranbrook. That's uh, how we first met, actually, so just kind of wanted to mention that because duck season is coming up and this ties in with <clears throat> with uh, Bruce, the owner of, of Alpine's Passions. So Ducks Unlimited is going to be having an online uh, virtual event to go through the 2023 waterfowl season outlook so it's got some scientists on that are going to go through the previous year's survey uh look at the ups and downturns of waterfall across north america and the different flyways and kind of give you a breakdown what the predictions are for this fall so should be pretty cool go on to the ducks unlimited canada um social media or their website because it's one of those virtual events that you sign up for and i just saw this the other day but uh Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater is a special guest on that virtual event. So that's mm, kind of cool. Very cool. Jesse Zeman, welcome back to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having, having us at the BCWF back on here again.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. Lo- love it. Um, love the work you guys do and and really appreciate you always making time to to get the message out jesse you're the executive director of the bc wildlife federation you got so many amazing things on the go uh wetland teams that i'm seeing are all over the province doing biodiversity assessments and wetland areas i just saw a team looks like they're up in the fort nelson area in the boreal forest in northeastern bc working with the uh um, Fort Nelson First Nations up there, um, the Becoming an Outdoors Woman camps, I see those, the kids camps, it's just, and your advocacy work and hunting and fishing and conservation management, it's just uh, amazing everything you have on the go, so no wonder you got thousand emails and 500 <laughs> voicemails. <laughs>
3: yeah yeah it's a it's a busy place and we're trying to you know we're trying to grow and and you know especially in the world of new hunters and new anglers really offering that support you know we talked about this demographic shift so really kind of propping up the education but also you know we've got a ton of stewardship projects on the go dock projects to improve accessibility for disabled people and everyone for that matter for fishing and i mean there's a lot on the go we got a great team a young team that's super passionate about what they do and so yeah we're just you know head down trying to get as many things done as we possibly can and you know some days we don't cross every uh, cross every t and dot every i but we're out there trying to trying to take on the the world here
2: oh it's great it's great the work that uh that you're doing and under your leadership there's been been a huge Huge incremental change in um, the visibility and the work the BC Wildlife Federation's doing. So t- today's episode, we're gonna dive into grizzly bears again and grizzly bear management. Um, this is, Curtis, is this the first time we've kind of had back-to-back podcasts on the same same topic?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's gotta be, if not one of the very few, but.
2: Yeah, no, that's what I think too. So the last episode, was with Dr. Bruce McClellan and Dr. Clayton Lamb uh, talking about uh, the principles of grizzly bear management for hunting, or the the management of hunting of grizzly bears. Um, Jesse, you know Bruce, he's just a legend uh, worldwide in in the realm of brown bear uh, ecology and management. And um, it was it was pretty amazing to have him on the show. And and now today uh, we're back on almost bookends. Uh, I do think we have another grizzly bear podcast uh, booked for September, which is going to be probably stuff to do with the hunt ban in British Columbia that nobody has ever heard before. So I'm looking forward to that. This episode is about a current opportunity that the public has to comment on British Columbia's draft grizzly bear management stewardship framework. Uh, There's also the grizzly bear viewing one. We'll start out with the grizzly bear stewardship framework. Um, For all better simplistic words, it's the province's latest crack at a grizzly bear management plan. Um, The anti-hunting groups, I'll put it that way, don't like the word wildlife management because it implies hunting. They have liked this word stewardship. Uh, Either way, it's about what we're gonna do to conserve grizzly bears on on the landscape, and um, you guys did a really in depth review of the stewardship plans, both of them. We can talk about the bear viewing one as well, and so that's what I want to get you to do is to walk through the federation's take, um, good and bad, of this stewardship plan. Partly, I want this podcast to be a call to action because it is still open. Uh, when this podcast comes out, people will have the opportunity to listen and go on to uh, the government's website and make comments. So uh, this is like a call to action type podcast. And that's why we got the back to back episode. So Jesse, I'll, I'll turn it over to you if you wherever you want to pick this story up and lead yourself into the review. Um, take it away.
3: Okay, sure. Yeah, well, just, I guess we'll kind of high, high level it and we'll go with the stewardship piece. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, right? And so it doesn't matter if it's grizzly bears or mountain caribou or mule deer or steelhead. You know, we, we basically need three, three things to take care of anything, air, water, land, fish and wildlife, right? We need funding. Funding helps buy us capacity, which are people, scientists. We need under that, the science piece, we need inventory and monitoring which is going out and counting grizzly bears in this case, research to understand what's going on on the landscape. We need objectives so that there's thresholds that actually trigger governments or decision makers to be accountable to wildlife and to the public. And then we need, under that, we need like social support. So that's kind of the governance piece of how does the public engage? How do First Nations engage? How does everybody feel like they have a say in what's going on? And so that's like... The broad way that we think about taking care of any kind of renewable resource and so i'll start right out of the gates with the funding and capacity one right uh we published an op-ed just recently uh tied into floods and fires and of course you know we've got the worst fire season on record uh there's fires all around us right now in the okanagan uh, you guys, you, you've had a few fires this year. I don't know why the CUNYs is lagging behind regularly, um, but but I mean, a lot of the province is on fire and we've got some huge fires too, right? In the Northeast. So bottom line here is that the province over the last 40 decades, when we went through the provincial budget and we talked about renewable resource management, 2022 is the worst year on record as a proportion of the budget. So When we look back into the 70s and the 80s, you know, uh, even when we had like major issues with inflation, super high unemployment rates, the province of British Columbia was still spending, you know, four to five percent of its budget every year to take care of renewable resources. So that's everything land, air, water, fish and wildlife. By 2022, it was down to just over one percent. So like right out of the gates, this whole like construct of how we take care of these resources, you know, the first thing you need is money. And what our provincial budget shows us is that essentially the money that's set aside or that was set aside to take care of that has been reduced by like 75% or more. So right, right out of the gates, there's no way that you are stewarding anything renewable resource related, not possible. You can't say that with a straight face. So right out of the gates, we know that we can just say, You are not investing in these resources. Therefore, you're going to fail, period. That's non-negotiable. And the province can say, oh, well, we invested an additional $10 million in this little trinket, or we set aside these million dollars for these other things. The reality is, is the big picture, you know, I'm sure that most British Columbians would love to spend more than 1% of their tax dollars to take care of the environment, considering the fact that this year we have massive drought. We have streams that are over 20 degrees Celsius, which means that we're gonna probably have massive adult salmon f- mortality and juvenile salmon mortality in a pile of our rivers. We have massive wildfires, which are out of control, which we don't necessarily want, right? We'd way rather have these controlled in targeted areas, not burning people's houses down, not spending hundreds of millions of dollars fighting them. Um, and then of course, we all know the declines in fish and wildlife, right? So right out of the gates, y- you're not going anywhere without money not happening and we don't have any money so you can't say that you're going to steward grizzly bears with a straight face without saying here's how much money we're going to dedicate to that so that's the first problem and then when we look under that like we can compare bc to a place like montana which is a fraction of size of bc only has grizzly bears in part of the state or at least meaningful populations they have 14 people that are set aside to manage grizzly bears in british Columbia. Before the grizzly bear hunt was closed, we had four, right? So we had Bruce was one of them, and Bruce is like an amazing ecologist. We had Tony Hamilton, who's also a PhD. He was a policy specialist. Garth Mowat, who's still with the province, was part of that. And then we had a human wildlife conflict um, person who did a lot of grizzly bear work. Right. So we had four people in in the province of BC, which is, you know, five times larger than Montana. Montana has 14 people and we bears. have
2: grizzly bears everywhere. Pretty everywhere. much everywhere in this humongous jurisdiction. Right. Okay. Right.
3: And and our budget is like non-existent. Like I haven't even pulled those numbers for grizzly bears, but I would imagine that HCTF, so Hunters Dollars, probably been paying the bulk of the load around research, inventory and monitoring as as compared to the provincial government. So so pre-hunt closure we had four people, four PhDs. And we're talking like over 100 years worth of experience of unbelievable people. Today, we have one. Today, we have Garth employed by the province. Human-wildlife conflict is basically, as it relates specifically to grizzly bears, basically done. The policy analysts, which was um, Tony and Bruce, they're gone. So over the last six years, we've lost well over 100 years worth of like unbelievably experienced, knowledgeable, talented researchers and the province hasn't replaced them, right? So so first of all, we have no money, we have no people. So you're not gonna get away with stewarding anything if you get rid of the money and you get rid of the people. It just doesn't happen. You can't solve that equation. So I'll park it there if you have questions. That's the first part of, uh, of the stewardship plan.
2: <laughs> the, um, the, the part about the hundred dollars. So uh, for folks that don't know, in British Columbia, there is a conservation surcharge on hunting tags hunting licenses uh fishing licenses and trapping licenses and guide outfitter licenses that go into a dedicated fund it's not all the money it's it's a like a tax on our license charges and then that money's reinvested through an organization uh that's at arm's length to the government so i actually it, this doesn't include 2023 but since the grizzly bear ban, the habitat conservation trust fund has invested, I believe it's a, just a bit over $450,000 of hunters, outfitters uh, and trappers dollars into grizzly bear conservation and research. And there's no hunting, they're taking our money. If you threw in whatever's, I haven't added it up for 2023, but it's probably now, you know a half a million dollars uh in four or five years now since the hunt was banned so that kind of speaks to your point of the funding part so whatever has been done for grizzly bears has been paid for by hunters who can't hunt grizzly bears and it's probably more money than the province has put into grizzly bear research
3: yeah. And, and I'd have to pull those numbers up. I just didn't have the the mental or the the capacity, but, but the bottom line is again, here we are as conservationists doing the right thing. Cause I mean, I think, you know, even whether there's a hunt or not, we gotta be watching out for everything out on the landscape. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we invest heavily in caribou. We invest heavily in steelhead. I mean, none of us are ever going to get these kind of opportunities that existed 30 years ago in our lifetime. Like we're not going to miraculously have 5,000 steelhead back or a huntable caribou population in the next two decades in the southern half of the province. Like it's it's just probably not going to happen, but it's important like cuz we care, right? You know, it's not just about stuff that we hunt. So so anyways, that, you know, that covers the first two big ones. And so the bottom line is in this stewardship plan, if you don't have a dollar figure that you're going to spend every year and you don't have capacity targets in terms of how many people are going to do it, you're going to fail. The plan's set up for fail failure the next piece is around science again with science you need objectives you need to say here's how many grizzly bears we want in the province of bc and when we get close to that number we are going to start pulling levers to make sure that there's a future for grizzly bears there's nothing mentioned about an objective provincially for grizzly bear populations in bc so again you know we have no money we have no people to take care of it And we have no objective to know if we're doing a good job or not. And when the government does not give itself objectives, it makes itself unaccountable to the public. And so, you know, so we'll throw out caribou. We're gonna have self-sustaining herds in 20 years. What does that mean? How many caribou is that? And when do we hit the panic button? And so without these numbers in it, I mean, we can talk about sheep in region four too, or elk in region four, until government says, Here's what we want on this landscape. Here's how we're gonna do it. Here's when we're gonna achieve it. Your plan is going to fail because it's not really a plan. It's a plan to fail.
2: And and I think it's important to note too, like British Columbia is massive, <laughs> of course. Um, just if you're in the States and you're listening to this, if you took British Columbia <laughs> and took our Northern border with the Yukon and put it on the uh, Canada US border, uh, the province would extend all the way down to Mexico and take in all the western states that's just you know so with with grizzly bears within that different population units some of them in the north uh, and other parts of the province are booming they're doing really well first nations are saying we have a problem with too many grizzly bears there are places like where Jesse live in the Okanagan, north of the Spokane, Washington area in, the, in, the, in that valley. Uh, grizzly bears were extirpated uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The odd ones starting to show up. There's some populations towards the coast. Um, interestingly enough, around the, our most heavily populated area of the province, where scientists are saying those grizzly bear populations are in trouble um they're having genetic bottlenecks they're not moving between populations they're gonna blink out if somebody doesn't do something about them and then there's other places of the province where there's still conservation concerns because cars and trains and conflicts are killing too many grizzly bears so there's a diversity and now what jesse's saying is objectives become incredibly important especially you know, for those populations that are either recovering or the ones that could blink out, like we've Mm. got nothing. Like you said, when when does the sirens go off on grizzly bears with no objectives? Yeah, and
3: so that's the, like we call it the sea to sky, which is kind of west coast, like the west side of the province, southern half, right? And so grizzly bear reintroduction has been on the list for decades and we've had multiple ministers say, oh yeah, this is important, we need to do it. But again, like if you're serious about stewardship, you're going to say we want a provincial objective, but we're going to focus on these areas where we want to reestablish viable grizzly bear populations. And that is not prioritized in the stewardship document. Um, the other thing that you'll notice in the stewardship document is there's no timelines. Right. So normally yeah. you say, you know, in the world of business, we want to bring in fifty thousand dollars of revenue through this you know, stream by this date. So we don't have the revenue target, i.e. a population target. We do not have the tactics and strategies to do it. And we also do not have the timeline in terms of where we're going to look back and go, did we meet our objectives? So like this whole piece about how you run your life and how you run a business and how you should take care of wildlife and what we see in wildlife management plans in the United States is like goal, methods, timeline. None of that is in the provincial strategy. So again, if you don't have a way for the province to to be accountable to the public and to be accountable to wildlife, you're inevitably gonna fail. Like that's just, again, another outcome of a lack of planning. Um, The other thing on the science side, of course, the grizzly bear hunt did bring in a lot of science, right? There's a whole bunch of data that's collected in terms of harvest, age, they can do a whole bunch of genetic analysis when they take hair. So there's a whole bunch of positives that came from the hunt in terms of data that is now missing, right? Um, And I'm going to switch gears a little bit onto the social side. You know, we have this kind of this umbrella thing called Together for Wildlife in the province of BC, which is supposed to bring everybody together. You know, there's a bunch of values and principles around it, and using science and all the rest of that. And you know, as it relates to grizzly bears specifically, you know, I am not going to speak on behalf of individual First Nations, but I can say that the nations that we've engaged with outside of the coast all want a grizzly bear hunt back, a licensed grizzly bear hunt. That's what they want. Yep. So there's yep. all this trumpeting and, about
2: and and for their outfitting businesses too. So folks know there are indigenous owned guide outfitting territories in British Columbia which you know employed people The business owners were nation members, and their clients paid everybody's wage that hunted grizzly bears, and they're asking for um, that hunt reinstatement as well to get that economic benefit back. And that's pretty important in the northern part of the province where communities like Dees Lake and Fort St. John and stuff are not, you know... The, the 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 biggest economic engines of the province. So that's pretty important to people.
3: Yeah, and, and even in areas where they're not owned, where outfits are not owned, um, I mean, grizzly bears are seen as an animal that should be quote unquote managed, right? Like they eat moose calves, all the rest of that. And so that's the perception. So there's all this trumpeting about visions for Together for Wildlife. There's trumpeting about reconciliation and how we need to come together and figure this out and you know we have nations across the province who are trying to get grizzly bear hunting as part of agreements that where they want to move forward and get a science-based hunt back and the province is saying no right so you know when we closed the hunt we got rid of a bunch of data there are a number of nations that are harvesting grizzly bears some are harvesting more intensively than others but data is not being captured as well right so So there's pieces of this puzzle that we could put back into it to better understand what's going on. And the province is saying, you know, we're just going to close our eyes to that. We don't want it. We do not want to reopen the grizzly bear hunt. So I think that's part of the missing piece on science. But it's also the missing piece on social support is that, you know, we got a lot of challenges going forward. We have declining moose in some areas, declining mule deer in other areas. Um, But where we all agree is around grizzly bear hunting. And so there's a piece that the province can support us in terms of reconciliation in more rural parts of BC to say, hey, everybody here wants this, right? Nations want it, hunters want it. They're willing to pay to support wildlife management and do all these good things for wildlife. And then the province in that case just goes, oh wait, we don't want that. We don't like it, right? We're gonna catch a bunch of blowback at a certain parts of the province the lower Mainland or Victoria. So. So really there's a lot of political theater going on. Um, and this is one of those issues where I feel like we could bring people together uh, a lot more easily and see value in each other. And the province is is hitting the brakes pretty hard on that.
2: The The current draft management plan or stewardship plan framework, they call it, it- It speaks a little bit about that, but it basically kind of throws up its hands and say, hey, unless there's a a province-wide process to engage the public to understand um, what people's thoughts are around hunting, we're going to be silent on it in this management plan. I'm like, well, shouldn't those things have been done, you know, to be part of a holistic management plan if reconciliation with indigenous communities is part of the province's objectives? They really did kind of like mention it and then just stepped on the gas pedal and went by that one in the plan.
3: Yeah, it's it's 100% politics. There's no there's no way around any of that. Like there's there's been a number of nations, like I said, pretty much across the whole province other than the coast, like there's an appetite and an interest and expression of interest to the province saying we want a licensed hunter grizzly bear hunt back. And the province is saying, no, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to hear about it. So, I mean, this is just politics, but I think it's really important in this case for people to voice their opinion, right? Because, you know, the, the province, regardless of who's in power or who's in power next, needs to hear from this community that is involved, that is willing to pay, that is willing to support, that rolls up their sleeves to volunteer time. Because, I mean, a lot of the folks that are going to be replying to that are going to be sourced from all over the world. They're never gonna come here. Um, they're not gonna support conservation, right? It's, it's become, you know, it's gonna become very quickly a social kind of carrot for groups to fundraise off of and kinda, you know, do, do what they do, right? We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Everybody's seen it. All your listeners know what that's all about. But um, I think for people that live here, it's really important for them to, to speak their mind. So I think those are kind of the important pieces. The last piece, it does talk about the Wildlife Act, and that's good. Like a Wildlife Act overhaul is really needed in British Columbia. And so the Wildlife Act is kind of like our legislation as it relates to wildlife and hunting. But our wildlife currently, our wildlife act is basically structured around hunting permits and regulations. There's nothing about wildlife in the Wildlife Act. Right? So the Very wildlife, little
2: anyways. Yeah. Right.
3: So so the Wildlife Act really needs to be opened up to focus on the future of wildlife to say we need the ability to set these legislated goals for wildlife populations we need the ability to set legislated goals for habitat outcomes for controlled burns for you know all of these different things that drive fish and wildlife populations um and then the other thing that the that this kind of piece misses on is around human wildlife conflict and that's another kind of Rabbit hole. Uh, There's going to be all kinds of conflict up north this year. Like we got a severe drought, major berry crop failure. Uh, We're going to have conflict this fall. It doesn't address that. I mean, essentially, you know, the province offloads to the municipalities. Municipalities create these bylaws take your garbage in, don't feed bears. But the municipalities don't have enough bylaw enforcement officers. So they don't end up enforcing it. And then by that point, the bears become a garbage bear and then they call the conservation officer service to come euthanize it and it turns into another big mess. Um, You know, That's tangential to kind of a lot of your listeners probably, but it's really important again, that if we're gonna have laws that deal with these kind of conflicts and say, here is how we're gonna deal with people that have leave their garbage out all over the street or in front of their house and there's a bear eating it every single day. Like if you're gonna have laws that say you're gonna deal with those people, then you gotta have funding and capacity to have bylaw officers go out and deal with it. So again, like don't give us the theater and say, oh, well, we've passed a law, everything's great. You actually have to support those laws with people who can go out and enforce them. So that's, you know, probably not gonna be like meat and potatoes for your listeners, but it's also something to think about as it relates to grizzly bear, grizzly bear mortality. And especially when we had a grizzly bear hunt, You know some parts of the province like the elk valley a lot of those bears ended up dying in human wildlife conflicts because people were not managing attractants properly and of course the way we manage grizzly bears is if people are if they're getting shot in people's yards because they got garbage all over that just takes away from hunting and it also kind of you know you have this effect where mom teaches cubs that garbage cans are a great place to go If their cub survives and has offspring, it's just a real spiraling effect where everybody is a problem bear. So, you know, you gotta get on that if you want quote unquote wild bears that are not eating people's garbage or in their fruit trees or whatever it might be.
2: I mean, that piece is very relevant to our listeners, I feel. And and Bruce and Clayton talked about this in the last episode when they kind of, you know, provided a synopsis of how grizzly bear hunting was managed in British Columbia and based on a population and a management unit there was a, an, a a scientific accepted level of human caused mortality of like five or six percent of the, the yep. given population it varied a little bit now there was hunting but when bears got ran over by cars and trains and killed in conflict then that came out of the hunter's quota and there the hunts were shut down sometimes sometimes upwards of two years um, until the bear population recovered. Nothing to do with hunter mortality. So what I've been seeing, and this is a little bit echoed in, in s- some of the plan, is there's places of the province, especially where Curtis and I live, Rocky Mountain region, where since the hunt was closed, the, the speed at which humans are killing grizzly bears is skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. More traffic, more trains, coal trains, attractants, habitat issues like you said driving them into town droughts so if hunters aren't part of or don't care about that piece of like helping to solve and they and they are in places solve this human bear conflict we'll never reach a point where we may have a government that says okay we can talk about this again scientists are just going to say no hunt because there's no quota available because you got to get get a handle on this accidental killing a bear. So I, I think that is an important piece. Hopefully people made the connection there between what Jesse said with human conflict and, and the possibility of hunting in the future.
3: Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's good. And I mean, the other piece on this is like when we line up all these dominoes, right. And we talk about human conflict and no resources, and we talk about a lack of sign. like, you know, the, the question really comes is does the government really care? Like, does the province of British Columbia genuinely care about bears or did the province of British Columbia really just care about getting rid of bear hunting? And the data tends to suggest it was just about getting rid of bear hunting, right? Well, it
2: was an election promise. So yeah. I think that's yeah. the answer right there originally, yeah. right? Fair
3: enough, but I guess that's, you know, when you think through these different themes and what needs to be in place and the commitments that you need and like, you know, some of these issues around human wildlife conflict and bear conflict, like in the East Kootenays, it's like, it's a major issue, right? And so when you have major issues, again, this is what goes on in Montana and the YCDE where they have all these grizzly bears, like they have tons of conflict there and they have people chasing bears around and spending a bunch of money, but that's what it takes. Like like if you do not want bears to be killed by the conservation officer service, you can't have garbage in your yard. Right? And you know, the carrot, we've tried the carrot, there's public education out there. For some people, it's not getting through to them. And so you gotta use the stick. But if there's no one out there that's carrying a stick to enforce it, this problem gets worse. And I do I do think, you know, part of the discussion when the grizzly bear hunt was closed is that this behavioral change. Um, you know, and like Bruce, Bruce, you know, he had individual bears. Some were way more visible than others. And, you know, this was Val used to talk about this all the time. Val Geist, when you talk to him about it, like from his perspective, you need people out hunting grizzly bears inefficiently, which is kind of like how we hunt, not that well, to, to, to keep kind of like pressure on these bears so that they don't, they don't become bold. Right? So there's like, I mean, and this takes generations, but we've already seen it with garbage bears where mom teaches offspring bad habits and everybody ends up in the system and they end up getting killed. So there may be something to it. It's going to require time and a way more input effort into science, but with 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 no hunting pressure on them and no kind of mechanisms for them to deal with people. This is interior bears. I'm talking about not coastal bears, but I, I mean, part of what we discuss is like, I kind of expect this conflict to get worse over time. Like if it's just hands off all the time, if there's no deterrent, we could just end up having more problem bears, which means we euthanize more bears, which means, you know, the conservation officer service takes more and more flack from the public because there's groups fundraising off of killing bears. Like it becomes a bit of a vicious circle.
2: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, we're, we're not that different than The east slope of the Rockies in Alberta, uh, fewer bears. They are recovering. You know they're they're doing well, but like last summer uh, and unfortunately this summer, like they've had some really serious conflicts, some attacks, some fatalities in uh, in Alberta. And you know, I would maybe guess for the Rocky Mountains there are more people in the foothills closer to Calgary that are recreating in grizzly bear country than there is on the west slope where Curtis and I live because we just don't have a city of like three or four million people like Calgary that's that's that close to the mountains but our population is growing and I think it's only a matter of time like you said where these two things are going to collide and, and we're going to see some more serious uh, conflicts with humans in in the southern part of BC as well just because of the density of both bears and, and people, so.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so those are things we can f- learn more about and maybe talk about in 10 or 15 years, but yeah, I think that that, that covers it was, it was, most of it.
2: It was pretty interesting in in the last episode with, with Bruce and Clayton, but <clears throat> they were not shy in basically saying from a science perspective in our understanding of grizzly bear populations and what they were doing, and our ability to be on the pulse of them management wise push forward pull back you know sort of concept the grizzly bears from a conservation perspective were better off when there was hunting in this province because the province was investing in science of populations now they're not and and that that was i think a pretty important message Mm -hmm. to get out there um, that hunting's not just about killing a bear it's about the conservation of this species, and I think I agree with it as well. Yeah, um, yeah and it, and and it ties off. <laughs>
3: it ties into the social value of wildlife too, right? Like, like part of part of what hunting does is gives wildlife value, so people up tend to appreciate it more. And so, you know, there's a time a long time ago where people were just like, "Wipe out the grizzly bears; they have no value," right? And so, there's there's a piece in there too. Where you lose social value. Another prime example that is town deer in Cranbrook and Kimberly. People hate town deer, right? Therefore, they hate deer. I am running them. My friends running them over. It's chasing my friend's stroller. It killed my friend's dog. That is not good for wildlife. Like it really yeah. isn't. Like yeah. like I want people. to And then be... you see
2: these. And you uh, see these stories in the news of of a deer in some town somewhere with a crossbow bolt stuck through the side of its face or something. And it's like, that's not hunters.
3: Right. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, I, I would much prefer people seeing deer and being like, oh, there's a deer. That's awesome. Rather than I hate deer. It's living in my yard or there's a grizzly bear that won't leave me alone. Like those are those when you lower the social value of wildlife, when wildlife becomes past, like they're not, those are not tied to good outcomes right so yeah. uh, you know we're constantly thinking about how do we generate value for wildlife and certainly like hunting did help that and it and it like you know hunting and ranching cuz you know there's lots of ag producers that have conflict um, a lot of those things get lowered like people's perception of these species same with elk i mean half of your guys trench now is fenced off with 8 foot fences because elk were perceived as having no value cuz they just ate the crops all year so So there's a big piece that we got to keep be mindful of around, like the social support for wildlife and not making it seem like a pest. And I think that that you know I'm worried that that will be kind of a bit of a more of a long run too, Um, with grizzly bears. We're certainly seeing it with town deer, hundred percent across the province.
2: And. I think we are seeing it with grizzly bears in the last four or five years in this province as well, in rural communities. And, and this is where I've talked to Dr. Clayton Lamb about this, is we, we are in desperate need to support grizzly bear management in the province of a really comprehensive social survey to look at attitudes of people, not just hunters and whether they want the hunt. But, like Clayton said, um, various scenarios uh, for communities and people and trade offs. You know, if you had this, are you willing to like these sorts of things? Because the intolerance also comes, I believe, from the non hunting community. And it's like they're constantly living uh, with bears, um, they fear them in their communities, they're wrecking their stuff. How are those people's attitudes changing towards the bears? maybe thinking that geez when those guys used to hunt them we never had those problems so if you surveyed those non-hunters maybe there's a trade-off value there and that's going to prevent somebody deciding to take matters in their own hand Um, i just saw a news story from prince george central british columbia the other day about a young grizzly bear that was around quite a bit uh, in town and it was found dead i think like in a playground or a schoolyard they don't know why yet but immediately that's popping into my mind where it's like there's just an intolerance for this young grizzly bear living in town and somebody was fed up and did something to it you know either physically or poisoned it or whatever and these sorts of attitudes towards wildlife that cause damage this is not like this is not an african you know only thing we hear that with elephants and lions Mm -hmm. and stuff like trampling people's crops like we're well off in this country Mm-hmm. But I think it's happening here as well, and I've always said there may be a role for hunting, even if it's a placebo effect. Um, but we don't know. We don't have the social science to help guide management, and that was a piece I saw that was missing here as well.
3: Yep, or the political fortitude. I mean, you guys live in you know Cranbrook. Like, as soon as somebody burns a deer trap or whatever, we cancel managing urban deer, right? So. This is, yeah. you know, like people don't, people want quick, easy solutions. And uh, I mean, trade-offs is the jam of ec- economists. Like you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I'm hundred percent on board, but um, it requires political fortitude, a lot of this stuff too, right? Yeah, uh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. And I think you nailed it on the head. Like, I mean, does the government really care? Uh, where's the funding? where are the experts that are being put in place where's the accountability and very specific time bound uh, objectives Um, where's the science that's helping answer questions that managers need in order to move and adapt uh, plans and move forward so um, yeah pretty pretty salient points is there anything that you want to say about the grizzly bear viewing management strategy that's out for public
3: yeah, I mean, uh, the big thing is like, you know, our our things framed up as, you know, from our perspective, we can have both, right? They might not be able to overlap perfectly, but we can have hunting, we can have viewing. I think as it relates to viewing, uh, you know, the first challenge is it's essentially unregulated. There are places where there's permits required and there are there are parts like commercial bear viewing where they have their own kind of regulations or whatever, but the province needs to get on with it, right? Like hunting, fishing, well-regulated, has been for 100 years. Water extraction, extremely poorly regulated. Bear viewing, extremely poorly regulated, right? So get on with it. Any industry that operates in BC should be regulated. It should be sustainable. It should not have major negative impacts on wildlife. And the other thing is, is that, you know, if we're gonna be making a whole pile of money off of bear viewing, that money should be going back into taking care of wildlife. Commercial Bear Viewing Association is actually totally on board with that. So, you know, there's some philosophical differences around around bears and hunting and viewing and all the rest of that stuff. But, you know, as far as their association is concerned, like we're pretty close in step. I think the big thing is, you know, don't exclude the public, which is a big concern of ours as it relates to where the province is going with fish and wildlife management and things like bear viewing where, it's like the public's not allowed in here, but if you have a guide, you can go. So that's a concern on our end. Doesn't matter if it's grizzly bears or whatever it is. Um, but I think as it relates to regulation, like that is way overdue in this province. And the fact that they're taking such a long time blows my mind because you know, in the world of hunting, we got a you know synopsis, it's like, I don't know, probably 90 pages long in a wildlife act that tells us how to behave when and why. I think, you know, ecotourism and bear viewing definitely need to have the same kind of regulation and legislation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the conservation surcharge that's legislated. Mm -hmm. So everybody that's out there on the land is, is paying.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because like, you know, the bear, bear viewing. So like they're on board with that, to be honest, they already have, they already have their own for their membership and they dictate where the dollars go and stuff like a voluntary one, but uh, I, I will give them kudos for that. Like they recognize there's a bigger picture and they recognize that, you know, if there's no berries and there's no salmon and we're wiping bears out all over the province with trains and, and cars, no one's going to get to watch a grizzly bear. No one's going to get to hunt a grizzly bear. And so we better all get on the same page and start worrying about grizzly bears.
2: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Curtis in, in, in your group, your friends and stuff, has anybody mentioned like the grizzly bear management plan that's out there? Is it on your friends' radar screens? This is one of the, th- I mean, one of the reasons why we're doing this, but are these things in the way that the government puts it out there really reaching people like like you guys, like young young hunters?
1: No, I, I don't think so. And I think that's... One of the great things about uh you know organizations like uh, bcwF and and um bHA and all that is they do a good job of of making these issues known where had nobody said anything or said hey comment um just as far as the provincial government is putting these things out there it would have came and went and you know, I'm fortunate enough to be, <clears throat> excuse me, involved with this, so I get all this stuff coming down as it happens. But there's, I think, a lot of, especially younger folks out there uh, who are, you know, busy young families working, whatever, that just don't have the time to to sit and follow this stuff. That it just passes passes by. If it was, if it wasn't for uh, for folks trying to get it out to them, so. I think there could definitely be a, a better job via the government on on making people aware that these things are available for public comment and
2: Yeah, they do get kind of buried on a you know, like this this opportunity to comment on the grizzly bear management strategy, like you go on to uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes uh, for folks and I'll get it out on social media, but like you land on that page and it is not a wildlife page. It is not a wildlife management place page. There's stuff about social services and, and income things and, you know, and all these different issues that the province is asking for public input into, and you scroll your way down and it's like, Oh gee, there's a picture of an animal, Oh, grizzly bear management strategy, public input. And so it it's, And I'm not going to say like it's being buried in with this other stuff, but it's like, geez, people in our field want to go to like the hunting and trapping page, right? And see their stuff there uh, if they seriously want the voice of uh, the hunting conservationist community. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that that's probably not engaged BC or Together for BC or whatever the the um, the Instagram pages that the province puts all this stuff out is probably not on the feed of most young uh, uh, hunters and and fisher and backcountry men and women in the in the province. So it's pretty, you know I guess that's what we're going to try to get the message out. So yeah uh, yeah exactly. Jesse, I
3: think that's I think that's why you you I mean part of one of the many reasons you joined a conservation organization right so that you know what's going on, so you have a voice. Like, you know, we talked about this before, you know, these these things don't just happen on their own, right? Like, all of these big changes as it relates to regulations and legislation and moving the needle for fish and wildlife, like, it's not gonna happen with 300,000 people that don't join organizations. Like, you need people who are committed, who wanna know what's going on, who are gonna spend, you know, for this one, you could spend 20 minutes, Fill it out, get it shipped off, right? You could spend another two minutes to send a note to your MLA. So it's not super time consuming, but I think you do have to be in the loop, right? You're not you're yeah. not gonna catch this, you're not gonna just catch this following uh you know, hunters and anglers, uh, you know, random individuals who have a TV show. Like this is not gonna come up on your feed, right? So I think that's that's why you join conservation organizations so you can be in the loop and so you have someone. Who takes your voice to Victoria and to Ottawa and so that you can express your voice as well and be informed. I think it's really, I, I mean, I just, I didn't realize it as much before, but you know, the more voices you add, the bigger your team is, the more likely you're going to have success for sure.
2: Absolutely. And we've said it once, we've said it a hundred times here. Uh, we encourage everybody in Canada to at minimum belong to your provincial or territorial wildlife federation or association because they are generally the largest longest standing with the best relationships to government to speak to ministers on matters of importance to uh, hunters and trappers and anglers in the province If you want to join the other groups, because they're very specialized species specific uh, type group, maybe more hunting focused. That's amazing too. That's a great part of what we do. But organizations like the BC Wildlife Federation, the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters who people that wear suits and go to parliament buildings and talk to elected officials on your behalf, please join those organizations as as well. and. And, and let them let them do the work, let them do the heavy lifting and then do your part when they ask you to step forward, fill out a questionnaire, uh, talk to a, your local elected official. Absolutely fundamental to the future of hunting in Canada. Jesse, thanks so much for coming on, on the show. Uh, I really want this episode and I'm going to um, prop this up on social media to be a call to action. Uh, don't leave this episode uh, and just go cool. Um, please go to the show notes, uh, Google Engage BC. You'll find the government website. I'll put the link up. Uh, go find the Grizzly Bear Stewardship Framework Plan. Uh, it's a questionnaire is how you actually give your input. So they ask you questions about what you think of the stewardship framework. You may spend a bit of time. Uh, perusing the document, answer the questions. And If there's something you don't like, there's an opportunity for you to say why. Uh, I think go back and listen to Jesse at the start of this. Your key things were there's no dedicated funding for anything to do with natural resources in the province, uh, let alone grizzly bears. Uh, so that's like major fail out of the gate there. There's no dedicated scientists like you know we used to have. And there's no clear objectives, uh, time-bound objectives to keep government accountable uh, in, in uh, grizzly bear management. And there's this piece about ignoring the indigenous communities in the province that are saying we would like to have licensed hunting back in, uh, in our traditional territories. Address that when you have the opportunity. There is a chance in this stewardship document for a pro-grizzly bear hunting voice, please, please go on and fill the survey out and make it well known that you're advocating on behalf of hunting and as a hunter i'm following other groups who are anti-hunting that were involved in shutting the hunt down and they are absolutely bombarding the government and their membership is bombarding the government because i think they're scared they're scared that we're mobilizing and getting this pro hunting voice into this because everything i see coming out of them is grizzly bear hunting is a threat, keep the ban on, uh, like all this type of stuff, getting, uh, wanting the government to delay this plan, Uh, I think they're fearful of us mobilizing. So please, and you don't just have to be from British Columbia, you can identify from a jurisdiction outside, and have a say in how British Columbia manages grizzly bears. If you're from outside the country and you've ever come to British Columbia to hunt with an outfitter here, you have a vested interest in this. And we wanna hear from you in this management plan because when you came here and hunted with your outfitter, you paid a conservation fee on your tags and licenses that went into that fund that I talked about that have been paying for grizzly bear conservation and research since the hunt was taken away from your outfitter. So in my opinion, you are entitled to have a say here because some of your money is still helping grizzly bears to this day. So please um, go on the website and make your voice heard. Uh, Originally, the closing date was August 18th. Uh, It looks like now the government from, from some flack from some people, have extended it to September 8th. Uh, we will follow up and clarify that. But as soon as you listen to this podcast, please uh, click on the link and go take action. All right, Curtis, take it away. Right
1: on. The Hunter Conservationist podcast is brought to you by Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, BC. Like I said, give him a shout. Say hey. Thanks. I think two episodes back to back they should be hopefully coming out now with the maybe a double grizzly bear one side each episode one side with this one one side with the last one the double grizzly bear wrap on the tacoma wrap Yeah, Yeah. yeah something like that so
2: yeah if the truck's going one way down the road it's episode 100 on grizzly bear hunting management and then on the other side it's like hey make your voice heard in grizzly bear management grizzly bear like
1: 100 and 101 it. there you go <laughs> so anyways as always thanks to the folks at alpine know. it uh, we appreciate the continual
2: support from them down there so thank you and Jesse, thank you to you. Thank you to the BC Wildlife Federation uh, and all that you do. Uh, and for the time to come on this show and fill people in on what your position and analysis of the draft grizzly bear management framework for the province. Thanks so much.
3: Awesome. Well, thanks for having us on Mark and Curtis and congratulations on two fronts. And yeah, looking forward to seeing some pictures of all your exciting adventures. It's awesome
2: all right and uh look forward to the next topic to have you on the show uh people uh people love you on the show we always get great comments back the uh are hunters willing to pay one on the moose um uh tag issue and your master's thesis got a lot of great feedback on that people were like that was good that was one of my favorite episodes that's some of the feedback we've got so
3: Cool. Well, now it's going to
2: have you on the show.
3: Now we're on to the doing. Like the doing part is where we need to spend all of our time now making it happen. So yeah, you bet. We'll keep at it. Mm -hmm.
2: Cool. Uh, Thanks. If you're uh, living in the province of British Columbia, join the BC Wildlife Federation, help them uh, amplify your voice elsewhere in the country, join your provincial uh, association or federation. All right, folks, thanks for listening and we will see you in the next episode. you yeah.